0: Welcome to All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Vidalman. Today's guest is a proud member of the class of 2016 and a current third-year law student, Chris Middleton. Hi, Chris.
1: Hi, Cricket. How are you?
0: Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Would you mind telling us a little more about yourself?
1: Sure. So as Cricket shared, my name is Christopher Middleton. I use the pronouns he, him, his. I'm a proud alumnus of 2016 and a current third year at the law school class of 2021. I started Stanford in 2012 and prior to Stanford, I grew up primarily in Newport News, Virginia where I live with my mom and my older brother who's about 10 years older than me. I really loved being out here on the west coast and in the Bay Area and so Ever since coming out here in Stanford, I've been here with little spats over the summer where I might travel somewhere else, but Stanford has really been the home for me for like the past eight years almost now.
0: What attracted you to Stanford in the first place?
1: I think for like a lot of fly students that there is this opportunity because of financial aid to avoid either personally or having family go into debt in order to get a really great education. I was down to choosing between attending Georgetown At the time, I thought I was going to study political science and, you know, I ended up studying law anyway, so I wasn't that far off. But when it was time to make my decision, it came down to even though I had external scholarships, the cost of attendance at Georgetown would mean that my mom would probably have to take out student loans. And attending Stanford, I didn't have to do that at all. And so even though I had a lot of reservations about attending school so far away from home, the opportunity to get such a great education and not force my family or myself to take on debt was too good of an opportunity to pass up i think that financial opportunity was the thing that initially kind of sealed the deal but now that i've had the opportunity to experience so many years at stanford both as a current student or undergrad or an alum i really think my favorite thing about stanford has been the amazing people that i've met along the way and how there are so many different types of people on campus that are dedicated and excited by many different topics that I've just gotten the opportunity to grow from being classmates and friends with so many amazing people.
0: It looks like you took a little bit of a break before coming back for law school. What did you do during that time?
1: After I graduated and before I started law school, I worked for two years at Google. I was in the trust and safety program, which basically fights fraud and abuse or misuse of a particular product, and the product I worked on was AdSense, which is the Google Ad program. I really enjoyed my team at Google. They're really wonderful, warm people, and I think that my job at Google was a great opportunity to learn what it was like to work in a corporate environment, figure out what aspects of My own time studying psychology were relevant in a very different field, and for me, that was mainly like using statistics. I I think that also I kind of had that experience of being more certain that I wanted to have a long term legal career because although I loved my work and I found the problem solving aspect of it really exciting, I think I had that experience where it felt like there was something missing, and for me. I had identified that that something was being a lawyer, and I think after a few years, I felt ready to actually apply and, you know, start my time as a law student.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a good thing that I think a lot of people could take into account because a lot of people just go straight from undergrad into grad school, and I know someone who is not at Stanford but went straight into grad school and then didn't end up liking it too much. So have you always been involved with the ASSU then?
1: Actually, I haven't. For... Myself, personally, I wasn't very involved in the ASSU when I was an undergrad. I think there are a lot of folks who are super involved in the community centers, or for me, it was the fly office. That was kind of my home at Stanford, and I worked as a staff member there as an undergrad as well as a grad student. And I think that, for me, a lot about how I learned how to advocate for students and be an involved member of the community was through being a part of the fly office. It's been really interesting this go around getting to be the newly appointed ASSU VP and get a more concrete example of all the amazing stuff that members of the ASSU have done. I can definitely say that during my time as a student and an alum, I've known people that have been part of the ASSU and have done really cool and amazing things. But I think for me, I never really imagined like running for something that wasn't something that was really important to me. What was more important was like the opportunity to do really amazing and rewarding work. And it's been interesting this go around, getting the chance to do that via being part of the ASSU. Yeah,
0: I think having some experience with advocacy outside of the ASSU also really could contribute to what you're planning to do this year. What was the vice president selection process like for you?
1: It was really great. I got to meet some former, or I got to see again some former colleagues from the GSC. And there also were some interviewers that I knew from my time just working in the fly office. And I had been like a staff member that was supporting them. And it was nice to see how far everyone had progressed on their Stanford journey. I think the most rewarding thing was hearing from Vianna and Gianna, just the folks that had shared kind words about me. The community had the opportunity to give feedback on each of the candidates, and I was humbled to hear the nice things that people had to say about me. I hope that I'm doing my best to live up to it. I think that when a lot of people are focused on doing the work, you're not always aware of or even focused on perception that people have or the feedback that they might have. You're really focused sometimes on the goals that you have, and you can only kind of hope that it's well received, and that the love is felt, and it was nice to get that kind of validation from people.
0: I saw some of the feedback that people had sent when I was writing the community letter introducing you to the student body in general, and it was very incredible. I hope that people continue to feel comfortable appreciating each other, especially in these difficult and isolating times. Manera and Viana's platform was originally driven very much by racial justice. What is your new platform with Viana driven by?
1: I think that racial justice is still at a core of our platform and I think a lot of it is trying to figure out how to best take advantage of this momentum that's happening right now on campus. I can say personally as a member of like the law school that there has been an intention among students and faculty and how to best utilize the time and energy and attention that this moment has brought What's happening nationally is definitely having an impact on what we're choosing to focus on within our own Stanford community. And I think getting to be a part of so many different parts of Stanford, being a grad student and being an alum, it's been really exciting to see all these different institutions that make up Stanford, which is a rather decentralized place, all have this kind of commitment and focus on this topic. So I think for for me, I would say we're really trying to take advantage of that. We're trying to listen to members of the community. And two areas that folks have definitely identified, there are definitely others as well, but one is the departmentalization of AAAS. I can say as a law student, as people are having this larger conversation in the nation around prison abolition, around defunding the police, there are a lot of black feminist scholars who've done this work for a really long time. And have written extensively about this work. And I think that the field or the Department of Black Studies, or AAAS, would have the opportunity to explore those things and make it accessible to a lot more people at the undergraduate level. I can say within professional school, I've had the opportunity to read that material that people read the scholarship that's out there. And I've gotten to interact through a lot of talks that have happened at the school, some of these folks, and it's definitely improved my understanding of the issue. And I think that it kind of highlights the importance of making sure a larger number of the Stanford student body and faculty are able to interact with this research as well. And I think departmentalization is a key part of not only making sure we have access to what's being done at other places, but also creating an environment in which those researchers who are currently doing that work are able to do so and make that the focus of their work. Another area that I think people around the campus, including the president have identified as an important one is looking into our relationship with policing. I recently joined the commission that was put together and I'm excited for our first meeting but I know from my own time as a student, and from well, my first time as a student, there have been a conversation around policing, and I think one part of it is that people have a very different understanding of police and experiences with the police before they come to Stanford. And I think it's more about listening to the members of our community to understand the best ways in which, like, the police department can be utilized and effective, and safety is obviously very important. But I think that there are a lot of different ways in which you can have a safe community. And so making sure that community members are aware of some of those actions is kind of at the core of addressing kind of the disparities that we have around how people experience interactions with the police.
0: Yeah, I think a huge one for that is the recent change to the 5150 policy, because people who are going through a lot of trauma tend to want to avoid any sort of interaction that kind of increases that fear or that sense of trauma. Would you mind talking a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so this was finalized shortly beforehand. I joined, but I'm really excited to see this happened. I can say for my first time at Stanford back before 2016, this was something that students had already been talking about. And so it's been really rewarding to see it come into fruition now. I think you made a really great point about people who are already in this situation that is often very dramatic and distressing might experience further distress having to be escorted by the police or even handcuffed. And so I'm excited for this policy change that will allow an alternative to having the police fulfill the service. But then also I'm optimistic because I think that Susie identified one of the potential troubles that students might encounter, which is cost. And so I'm excited to see that the Student Affairs is very mindful of that Making this change might mean that there are students who will worry about making this call because of any financial cost or burden, but it seems like they're committed to making sure that isn't an issue that people experience. I think that that's a really great example of how the things that you push for as a current student, you may not actually get to see the full policy change happen during your time as a student, which is true for some of my fellow classmates who worked on this when we were undergrads. But that does not mean that the change that you were part of supporting won't actually come into fruition. I believe very deeply in that kind of framework, where we're all members of Stanford and the community, and we all are able to contribute in making this community better for each other. And students have a somewhat limited time on campus or wherever they're studying from in these conditions, to make that impact and unfortunately you don't always get to stick around long enough to see it happen during your time but you're truly able to transform this institution for those that come after you I think that that is a very recent example of many of that potential that students have, what it means for the community and it's a great victory I'm super super excited that the admin have made it possible
0: Yeah, I think this is a super important change, and I know that especially for people experiencing mental health issues that it's, first of all, difficult to admit to yourself that you're going through something. I went through something a couple of years ago in my freshman year, and that was difficult, right, because there are so many people who have friends and who have already solidified their communities, and I kind of had, but just going through something mental health related was very isolating. One thing that people have been concerned about recently is the campus compact and how involved or not involved that police may be on campus. Would you mind talking a little more about that?
1: Yeah, so I definitely think that for folks that are on campus, it's kind of impossible not to think about the campus compact. It shapes a lot about what our daily life looks like, how we are able or not able to interact with folks. On this particular issue around like compact and policing, I think that, I don't remember the exact officer's name, but I remember reading in the daily a discussion around the fact that there are sometimes these police interactions involving the compact is because members of the community are calling them. And so they're there when they're called. And if we as a community don't feel like that's an appropriate thing to do, one thing that we can do as a community is come up with alternative plans and strategies and tips for people. This is a concept that we've kind of talked about within the law school. And I know it's a concept that people and activists within different communities have had conversations around already, when is it necessary to call the police and what kind of things, if you're like part of a stronger community or neighborhood, you're able to kind of just discuss amongst each other and resolve. Everyone wants to create an environment on campus in which people feel safe. There are a lot of concerns that people have that are very well, like there are a lot of reasons for them to have that concern. I can say personally is that when there was what felt like an increased police presence at one point on campus after I moved back on in August, I did have a sense that they were more police around. And with what was happening at a national level, I could say like being outside and feeling surveilled felt a little distressing. I think that the university recognized the inappropriateness of that behavior. But I think that as a community, there are people who are concerned when they see people violate the compact. And I think for whatever reason, they don't feel empowered or that it's safe for them to tell members of the community when they see things and instead they call the police. Having the police called on you for sitting five feet apart and not six or not having your mask up high enough can feel like a very distressing thing. And it can feel like you're being singled out and it can feel overly harsh. And so I think something that's important for us to kind of figure out is how do we achieve the optimal amount of safety? And I think part of it is figuring out how to make it so people are comfortable just talking to someone. You know, when someone is doing something that's concerning for you, especially if you're part of a building or part of a floor or part of a community, which we all are, you should feel comfortable being able to just talk to them. And I get for some people that might feel like a very intimidating thing to do, or you're worried about saying the wrong thing in the moment. So I definitely think it's an opportunity for like a resource or guide or toolkit to be created. And it's something that I plan on discussing with the commission that's looking at policing right now, because I think that that's something that I've I've heard anecdotes about and I've read about in the daily, like I'm sure a lot of other people have, that is a cause of concern.
0: Right, because it can also be hard, though, interpersonally to advocate for oneself because we talk a lot in the ASSU about advocating for other students. But when it comes to telling someone, hey, this is what I need from you in order to feel comfortable and safe enough to continue interacting with you, that's not particularly an easy conversation to have. Are you on campus right now?
1: I am. I'm living in EBGR.
0: Ooh, how is that? It's the new building, right?
1: I have great fortune of living with a roommate. His name is Mark. We've known each other since we were undergrads. We lived across from each other in our freshman dorm. And so it's been really, really great getting to live with someone who I've known for such a long time. I think that being on campus, for like, I can say personally, and I'm sure for other folks as well, has been hard. I think it's a combination of feeling lonely at times and also dealing with the air quality, which has been like a huge, unfortunate issue for a lot more families in California directly, but also the smoke and the compact have created this caged-in feeling for me personally, and that's been, like, difficult to navigate, and hopefully the air quality stays great. Being able to walk around outside in somewhere that's green has been really, really great for me. I I remain optimistic that things have improved over time. I definitely think There's a lot of hard work being done by folks who are working on the compact, but I still think there are issues around communication. It's like people are simultaneously overwhelmed with the details, but then also feeling like they don't have enough information. And there is this fear of doing something wrong and losing housing. For me, I can say living in the context where there's that background fear of doing something and potentially losing housing is a stressor that I don't normally feel when I'm living on campus and I have lived on campus for really for a number of years now I think it's something that's been it's unique to my experience and background as a fly student and worrying about housing it's a worry that I usually did not have to deal with when I was a student at Stanford and in fact I'll say it was where I felt the most secure and stable and supported because of the financial aid that I received as an undergrad and so feeling that way here amidst the pandemic has been a new feeling. I don't know how many people who are writing the rules and policies have had that experience and know firsthand how that threat of losing housing, even if it's not a very likely one, can, can make certain people feel very anxious. And that anxiety is something that I'm sure, like other people, I'm coping with the best way that I can. One thing that I am excited about is the development of the POD system. I'm hoping that it will allow people to find other people that they can interact with in a way that's safe. I think the loneliness that the compact kind of required earlier was something that was very, very difficult for a lot of people to navigate, especially folks who haven't been a member of the Stanford community for as long as I have. I haven't had to meet a ton of people that were new to campus. I haven't had that experience. For me, it was returning to a lot of folks that were both undergrads and grad students that I already knew beforehand. And so I was already part of this friend network that was just like transitioning to being online. But for a lot of members of our community, especially the newest ones, they're really struggling and trying to find community in a way that can feel very isolating and difficult. So I hope that either through GLOW or maybe stuff that we can do as part of the ASSU or different departments can do stuff to allow people to find each other and define community. Because I feel like ultimately, that's something that's really, really important to all aspects of our well-being.
0: Yeah, I think that's super important. Community engagement, especially now, is something that's a lot more difficult. So how are you remaining engaged with the Stanford community?
1: i try to do a lot of zoom things with friends whether they're on campus or back home wherever you know for me that might be like a zoom happy hour or a zoom watch party for a political debate or for just like a netflix watch party or watching reality tv together it could be 90 day fiance like i feel like there are a lot of things to do things with friends And in terms of like staying an engaged part of the community, I think I've spent a lot of my first few weeks just going out and listening to people. And a lot of it has been like a combination of leveraging the folks that I already knew. So I've listened to a lot of alums whenever possible, but then also getting to introduce myself to members of the ASSU and listen to the experiences of current students. I found it really useful to utilize the groups that exist at my school. I'm fortunate that the law school has a lot of really, really great clubs and groups that you can be a part of. And for me, the ones that have been the most significant have been identity based groups that we have at the law school. As someone who has this intersectional identity, I found it really useful to get to connect with people who help make Stanford feel at home. And I feel like they do that in very different ways. And so, I think staying connected to them has been part of how I've been aware of what's happening on campus, but then also just plugged in and feeling supported as a student.
0: Right. And I think especially now more than ever, one of the ways that people can remain involved with students is by reading the on-campus emails, by getting involved with various committees and issue areas and advocacy that we do. And I think that most people involved in the ASSU would agree with that. So why do you think it's important that students get involved with advocacy and stay involved this year?
1: I think that this year, more than any, there are so many things about the university that are atypical that there's really an opportunity to challenge the way things have been done. And I think it would kind of be remiss if all we did following this moment was return to the status quo. I think there's an opportunity to return a much stronger and vibrant and inclusive community. And I think that that can happen. The reason why I think that student advocacy is generally very, very important. I can say that part of how I've gained confidence that I think has been relevant for the work that I want to do in the immediate future and long term was through doing student advocacy, learning how to be upset about something, but then also take it a step further and help to change it, and how to work with different parties that I maybe I don't always agree with 100%, but work together to create something that's going to help people. One of my favorite things about Stanford is the little ways in which I can still see a fingerprint of something that I was a part of, and even when people don't know that it was me or don't remember our names or the, the people that I worked with, the fact that it's still there and helping people is an immense level of joy. And I think it also just gives me a certainty that Stanford has always been improved by student advocacy. It makes the students into better leaders and allows us to be more engaged and capable when we're going out into the world and doing the amazing stuff that we do, because a lot of us do really, really cool, amazing and exciting things from the very personal level for how we show up for our families and friends and loved ones to how we help change things at a national or international level. I think at the core, it is at our capacity to care and not just care, but take it a step further and put it into action. Being co-president of an alumni organization, FLAN, which is the first generation and or low income alumni network, I get to meet alums who attended Stanford at a time where things were very different. When a lot of the groups and community and pride that we take for, I don't want to say we take for granted, but we came into Stanford with it existing. They didn't have those things. And so a lot of them helped to create it. It's like a gratitude. It's impossible to be a student right now and to not be a recipient of the great work that folks have done to support you. And those folks include staff members, they include faculty, they include alums and parents and friends of the university and donors, but also they include students. And students have this ability to reimagine this university and transform it for the better. And it's what they've always done. And I hope it's what they will always continue to do. And it's exciting to do that this year with the ASSU.
0: So you're talking about coming back to a more inclusive environment. And one thing that has kind of come up recently is the possible effort of unhousing fraternities and sororities. Do you think that would help make a more diverse, inclusive Stanford?
1: It's something that's been talked about. There's been that really powerful campaign that's been going on that's been led mostly by alumni, and I've gotten the opportunity to kind of talk to some of my friends from when I was a student who were involved in Greek life and kind of get their perspective. When you look at some of the issues around diversity and the row in general, you know, there are numbers that you can look at and you can see that there's an issue there. And I think it's trying to figure out a way to balance everything and to get the best outcome. And I think for me, I need to hear from more people, more current students, more alums, to make sure that we're making the right decision. But I will say that like people have not identified a cause of concern. And I think it's a matter of figuring out, you know, okay, we've identified that there's a there might be a problem or there is a problem. What do we do about it? And I want to make sure that as many members of our community as possible are able to weigh in and take part of that conversation. Because I will say I've like heard from friends who have had rather bad experiences where it's not only about hurting other people, but the environment that they encountered instead of finding one of brotherhood or community was one that was way more self-destructive than they were prepared for. But alternatively, I am certain that there are people whose strongest sense of community at Stanford was found through a fraternity or sorority. So I think that whenever you're making a pretty significant change to campus, you should, you know, listen to students. And so that's what I plan on us doing. I plan on us, you know, eventually launching a survey and collecting feedback from students and figuring out what's the best way for all of us to move forward together.
0: Right. That makes sense. And I think that some people think that we release a lot of surveys and ask a lot of questions and try to get a lot of answers. But I think that it's super, super important for people to stay engaged, even just by responding to parts of the surveys or all of the surveys or things that they care about, especially. And it's not fun sitting on a computer all day or answering questions and stuff all day, but it's still super, super important. So what's one issue that you really care a lot about that doesn't necessarily have to be on campus?
1: Yeah, so I've been working with this nonpartisan organization that's affiliated with Stanford. It's the Stanford Healthy Election Project. And so what's been really interesting and exciting for me is being part of this research effort to just make sure people are aware of what's happening and they're informed about how local officials, state-level officials throughout this country are really working to make sure that as many of us vote in a way that is safe. I'm working in this policy lab through the law school, and it's been a really interesting opportunity just to learn more about how do our institutions adapt to something like covid-19. I know that on a very personal level, covid-19 has brought a lot of challenges and changes, but it's been interesting to see how different states have been trying to resolve this issue and to make sure our election happens smoothly.
0: Right, and I think a lot of people have been struggling a little bit with voting and knowing whether or not their votes will actually be counted this year. I saw a thing recently about how it it sounds like the Republican Party has been installing Ballot boxes that look exactly like the official ballot boxes but aren't official. And I don't want to get into the politics of that, but that could be pretty problematic. What do you think is the importance of civic engagement both in the ASSU and also off campus?
1: Yeah, well, I think that Jonathan and the ASSU did a really great example of highlighting the importance and opportunities around voting on campus. And so I was really, really excited to see that conversation happen. I think that being a part of a community and engaging via voting on campus or you know in your local community or state or federal level, there is a real opportunity to change or shape the direction in which a country is going. And I think for me, like personally, I think I related a lot to the experience of family members who did not have an easy time with being able to exercise their right to vote. I think voting has always been super relevant and important to me, mainly because there was that very difficult experience. So my mother's family is from Mississippi and I've been there for generations. And so there was a time where members of my family were very explicitly barred from being able to vote. And I think that hearing experiences and stories from my grandfather and how important being able to engage in this way and hearing from aunts and uncles about how there is this kind of excitement around the ability to transform Mississippi and not just like parts of the city like Jackson, but more rural areas as well. I think voting is one important way that you can be engaged and show up and shape your community. I think I also wanna highlight that voting isn't the only thing that you can do. There are a lot of things that you can do to volunteer and support members of your community, be it helping to plant a community garden or clean up part of your city or a road or a highway or serving on a nonprofit that helps members of your community. There are a lot of different things that you can do to stay civically engaged, and I think Because there are members of, like, the Stanford community for various reasons who aren't able to vote, I don't want them to feel like voting is the only way that you can show that you care or the only thing that matters. I think voting is really, really important. I think everyone that can do it should do it, and I hope they do. But I think there are a lot of really powerful ways in which you can show that you're committed to being a positive part of your community. For some people, it may even be like running for office and being a more direct representative of members of their community. I think it's also advocating at different meetings that happen for your town council or at a school board or things that you can do to voice your opinion. When there are federal rule changes and there's a notice and comment period, which is which we're going to highlight at the ASSU regarding the visa changes that are happening potentially, Those are opportunities to also be engaged. What it looks like can vary a lot. And I think we all have a variety of capacity or things that we're naturally kind of inclined to want to do. But there are different ways in which you can be involved that go beyond just voting.
0: Unfortunately, we're kind of running out of time. But my last question for you is sort of about Thanksgiving. In November a lot, we talk about the history of Thanksgiving, and no matter how you feel about that history, I think the important thing is that you're actually thankful for something and that you talk about it, especially during COVID, we just feel so isolated and a little bit defeated sometimes. So what's one thing that you're thankful for and why?
1: Wow, um, I'm really glad that you asked this question, and I can even share an answer that is Thanksgiving themed. When I was a student and you know, even now, I, I usually would spend Thanksgiving with a friend's family just because the flight back to Virginia was rather expensive and it was usually easier to like hop into a car and go either to Seattle or SoCal and just do Thanksgiving dinner with a friend and their family. So I've always been grateful for the folks who have opened up their homes to me and housed me and fed me when they didn't have to. And in particular, I'm just like super grateful to like my best friend Evan Patrick and his entire family, Dean and Tyler and his parents, because consistently they have opened up their home for me for holidays and have really allowed me to be part of those moments that are usually reserved just for family. And I have definitely needed that at times. And I'm just so blessed that Stanford brought me together with my friends and like both of them. And I was able to meet the rest of them as well and have this opportunity to be with family on a holiday that it feels super important. And I think for a lot of folks, be it fly folks that are not able to return home because of cost or queer folks who may not be welcome home, I just am so so grateful to all of the people who help create family for those folks in that moment and there are staff and faculty who have made my time at stanford feel that way and there are friends and their family who have made me feel that way as well and i think that something that COVID has highlighted is how important those moments are Those abilities and opportunities to just be together around the table, sharing jokes and food or wine if you're old enough, is really something special. And I think it is part of what I love the most about Thanksgiving, no matter the history, is that it's become that day for family. And family can look a lot of different ways, and I'm sure it looks a lot of different ways for folks throughout the Stanford community. And ultimately, that is a really, really beautiful thing. And it's something I'm extremely grateful for.
0: That is a really, really good message that I hope a lot of people appreciate and take into account. Thank you so much for letting me interview you today, Chris. Thank you. That was Christopher Middleton, the recently appointed Executive Vice President and a third-year law student. This is another episode of All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Vidalman, and if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to email them to communications at assu.stanford.edu. Thanks, and have a great start to your November.